Hello and welcome to Spirit Pig. This is the show that explores how to live a fulfilled life. I'm Duncan CJ and today I'm talking with Marcy Shymov. Marcy is a number one New York Times best-selling author, a world-renowned transformational teacher and an expert on happiness, success and unconditional love. Her books include the bestsellers Love for No Reason, Happy for No Reason and six titles in the phenomenally successful Chicken Soup for the Soul series. And her books have sold more than, I had to read this number twice, 15 million copies worldwide. And they've been translated in 33 languages and have topped all the major bestseller lists and have been on the New York Times bestseller list for a total of 118 weeks. Uh, Marcy is one of the best-selling female non-fiction authors of all time and is the host of the national PBS television special Happy for No Reason and is a featured teacher in the international film and book sensation The Secret. And that's actually where I, uh, I saw you for the very first time. It was about 10 years ago when I was 19. Uh, and yeah, Marcy has inspired millions and millions of people all around the world and is dedicated to helping people live more empowered, joy-filled joy and happy lives. So Marcy, hello and welcome to Spirit Pig. Thank you, Duncan. It's so great to be here with you. This is, yeah, it's really exciting. Like I, I mentioned just then, I mean, like, I think that was one of the first books or films which uh, kind of just opened my eyes to a lot of the, uh, just a, a lot of these brand new concepts and ideas. Like, you know, I think I was, yeah, 19. I think my mum gave me the book in my stocking when I was uh, at, at Christmas. And um, yeah, it was, it was fantastic. But um, talking about happiness, like most books on happiness tell you to find the things that make you happy and then do more of them. What are, I mean, there's nothing like wrong with that. That's obviously, you know, that's fine. But what are some of the limitations to this approach? So I call that being happy for good reasons. Okay. You know, let me, let me have, have all these things that are working in my life so that I can be happy. And as you said, there's nothing wrong with it except that it's conditional. So what happens when you lose that thing? What happens when the economy goes down? What happens when, um, you know, someone gets sick? Then your happiness goes away. So it's, it's, a te it's temporary, it's not very stable. So what I talk about is something called happy for no reason. And my definition of happy for no reason is an inner state of peace and well-being that doesn't depend on your circumstances. Now, this doesn't mean that you walk around 24-7 with a silly grin on your face or that you're in some <laughs> Pollyanna state of denial. But what it does mean is that you know, you're going to feel the challenges of life. You might feel sad. You might feel you're going to feel grief if someone passes away. You'll feel angry or frustrated. But there still is an inner backdrop of peace and well-being so that you bounce back more quickly. You're more resilient. And your happiness isn't dependent on this thing. You know, so many of us are trying to kind of run around and make our lives be a certain way, control our lives so that they look just so, and then we'll be happy. I call it the I'll be happier when syndrome. You know, I'll be happier when I make more money or I'll be happier when I have a better job or I'll be happier when I'm married or I'll be happier when I'm divorced or the ever popular, I'll be happier when I lose 20 pounds. And that's not real happiness. That's, you know, happy because, but as I said, it's not what we really want more deeply. Yeah, and one thing I found really interesting was hearing you speak about this idea of which um, a happiness set point. And I'd, I'd, never heard of, I'd never heard of that before. Can you maybe explain what you mean by a happiness set point? 
Absolutely. And, and to me, this was the most important research I found. There's this fabulous growing field of, of research on happiness, or some people refer to it as positive psychology, the field of positive psychology. And to me, the most eye-opening piece of research is that we all have a happiness set point. And it's like a thermostat setting. And no matter what happens to you, whether it's good or bad, you will tend to hover around your happiness set point or thermostat setting unless you do something consciously to change it. So, for example, if you win the lottery, and most people think, well, that would be it. All I'd have to do is win the lottery, and I would really be happy. <laughs> well, you would be happier for a few months. But it's been found that within about a year of winning the lottery, people return to their original happiness set point. And surprisingly, the same is true of people who have tragedies happen. Generally, within about a year, they return to their original happiness set point. So the set point is, is truly the key. And here's how the set point is determined. It's 50% genetic. It's in your genes. You're born with it. It's 10% and only 10% your circumstances. Such a tiny piece of the pie is your circumstances. The other 40% is your habits of thoughts and behavior. And that's the piece that you can really do something about to raise your happiness set point. And I'm going to take it a step further and say that there are some progressive scientists in the field of epigenetics. Dr. Bruce Lipton, you may have heard of. He wrote The Biology of Belief. Some progressive scientists will say that even your genetic piece, that 50% that's the DNA, that can be influenced by changing your habits which means to me that up to 90% of your happiness set point can be changed by changing your habits. And I've found that there are 21 main happiness habits that people can change to raise their happiness set point. And I'll tell you, you know, I, I'm uh, the, the perfect guinea pig for this. I, I did all of this because I was not happy. I had everything I thought I needed in life. I I'd set five goals for myself when I was in my 20s. And I thought, if I get these five goals, that's all I'll need to be happy. And I, Duncan, can I share with you what those five, yeah, love, five goals are? I think that people will relate to these. So I wanted a successful career helping people. I wanted a great husband or life partner, fabulous friends, a comfortable home, and the equivalent of Halle Berry's body. <laughs> And I thought, if I get those five, that's it. I will be happy. And I'll tell you, I had a major awakening experience in my life in, in, um, in June of 1998. And I had all five of those working. I, I don't have Halle Berry's body, but I have a healthy body. So that was good. But everything was working. And I was at a peak in my career. I had three books in the top five on the New York Times bestseller list at the same time. And I had just finished giving a speech to 8,000 people. I had um, autographed 5,432 books. In fact, my client had a massage therapist there massaging my hand every half hour so I didn't get carpal tunnel. I, I felt like an author rock star. And I remember after autographing that last book, I went up to my hotel room and a beautiful view of Chicago skyline. It was just exquisite. And I plopped onto the bed and I burst into tears. And I burst into tears because I realized I had everything I thought I ever needed to be happy. And I still wasn't. 
And I could no longer fool myself into thinking that just the next thing was going to do it. And I think that so many of us feel like, oh, just the next thing. And the science is showing that we soon become acclimated to just that next thing that we get. And it lasts, the happiness lasts for just a short period of time. So truly, what I decided at that moment in my life was, I am going to find out what it takes deeply, truly to be happier. And that's when I started doing all this research. I interviewed hundreds of people who were deeply happy. I did all the scientific research. And I found out that it is actually quite simple. Anyone can do it. And I would say if you were giving me a grade in happiness back then, I would have gotten about a D plus. I was almost there. <laughs> and I would say that now I'm, I'm, I'm an A. You know, there's always work. I'm always working on it. But it really works. And, and I've shared this now with thousands of people. And it really works. I love that. Cause it's so, I mean, yeah, I mean, that's hugely optimistic because it means that, you know, we've, we've got control that, you know, we can do something about it. It's not like, you know, this is our lot, you know, oh, it's genes or it's genetics. Like, yes, you know, that's part of it, but we can, you can take those practical steps. You can learn. And actually, you know, that's, I love that. And, and one thing that's really interesting when we're talking about the set points was, I mean, I think when you're, when you're writing, you're, you're an expert, like love for no reason, you realize that actually the same thing applied. You actually, we also have a love set point, don't we? It's exactly the same thing. You know, most of us are looking for love in all the wrong places, which is anywhere out here. <laughs> and, um, and I talk about love for no reason, similar to happy for no reason, is it's an inner state of peace and well, it's an inner state of love that doesn't depend on a person or a circumstance or a situation. And just like happiness, we all have a love set point. And people are so, everybody wants to find love. You know, I want to find the right person, the perfect person to love me just right. But the reality is when we don't have a high love set point, we can't let in love. We can't be a receiver of it. We don't feel worthy of it on some level. So it's not about getting the right person out there to love you. It's about raising your love set point so that you are better able to give and receive love. Yeah, and I love that. The idea of a thermostat just makes it so clear because, I mean, I mean, if, if suddenly the temperature raises above a certain amount, then you start, what, self-sabotage or whatever, all these, all these little things like that, self-sabotage, you know, to actually get yourself back to your, your safety zone and, you know, you, cover, you, you shoot yourself in the foot. That's exactly it. And we all know people that they start off and, oh, my God, this is it. This is the best. We're so in love. I've got such a great relationship. And it's too much. They're not, they're not able to really handle it. And so they do self-sabotage or whatever, and they bring themselves back down to their normal love set point. And you hear the stories over and over again. The, you know, the next partner, it's the same thing. So if you find yourself in a pattern of, of not being able, of sabotaging love, then you know that's a sign that you want to raise your love set point. Mm. And, what are the and, main... and, and self-love is kind of where it starts. Yeah. What are the main differences between our body's stress response and our body's love response? What, 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 what are those two things? So this is really cool because, again, this is science. It sounds so ooga booga. You know, love, it sounds like this airy fairy thing. But science has actually found yeah. that we have a stress response. And we all know what that feels like. You're stuck in traffic and you're in a stress response. Or you're on the phone with somebody who's frustrating and you're in the stress response. And it's got 
when you're in the stress response, you've got different brain rhythms, different heart rhythms, and a different biochemistry. Likewise, when you're in the love response, when you're in that state of all is well in the universe, your heart is open, things feel great, you have different brain activity, different heart rhythms, and different biochemistry. You have more endorphins, you have more serotonin, you have more oxytocin. Your heart rhythms are going in, into what's called a, um, a heart wave synchronicity or heart wave coherence. And to make this really practical, um, Duncan, can we do a little um, exercise that I, will I would, I would love from that. the stress response to the love response? Let's do it. All right. So um, this, by the way, I learned from a group called the Institute of Heart Math. I was going to ask they're you about the, that later, so I'm glad. I'm, yeah. glad. I'm glad we talked about that. They're the world's leading researchers on happiness in the heart and its response uh, to our health and things like that. And what they've found is that when you're angry for just five minutes, it can suppress your immune system for up to six hours. But when you're feeling love or gratitude for just five minutes, it can strengthen your immune system for six hours. So... You know, what, what we experience during the day has long-term effects on us. So this practice, it's called the inner ease technique. And it's very simple. It's only going to take us two minutes to do. Perfect. And what I want you to do is I want you to notice how you feel any, how you feel different at the end of this. And so, Duncan, I'm going to ask you to be my guinea pig. Is that okay? okay? I'm your guinea pig. Let's do it. Okay. Good, good, good. So it's three simple steps. Um... You can do it with your eyes opened or closed, but uh, I, if you are in a situation where you're able to close your eyes, I invite you to do that because it makes it go a little bit deeper, and I'll close mine too. So let's close our eyes. And the first step is to simply place the palm of your hand on your heart. Now this simple act of putting your hand on your heart starts the flow of a chemical called oxytocin. And oxytocin is dubbed the love hormone because it's what we have more of when we feel bonded or connected with each other when we're feeling more love. So, for example, women who are breastfeeding, they have lots of oxytocin. Or when we make love, we have lots of oxytocin. Just sitting like this with your hand on your heart is stimulating the flow of oxytocin in your body. Now, the second step is to imagine that you're breathing in and out through your heart. So you can either picture that for those of you who are visual or you can just feel it. Just imagine that your breath on every inhale is going into your heart and on every exhale is going out of your heart at your own pace, breathing into your heart, exhaling out of your heart. And you may already start to notice that you feel different physically or emotionally or both. And finally, the last step is on each inhale, imagine that you're breathing in love, peace, inner ease. Your exhales can just be normal, exhaling as though it's breathing out of your heart, but on your inhales, breathe into your heart, love, peace, inner ease. And you can either just 
feel that. You can remember a time when you felt that. Or you can just internally say the words to yourself and it will have the effect. Breathing into your heart, love, peace, inner ease. Exhaling out of your heart. One more time, breathing in deeply into your heart, love, peace, inner ease. And on the exhale, you can slowly take your hand away from your heart. And when you feel ready, you can slowly open your eyes. And just notice, I just ask everyone, I hope you all did that with us, because watching us do it was not anywhere near as fun as doing that. Notice how you feel in your body right now. Notice if you feel any different than you did a couple of minutes ago. And notice how you feel emotionally. Do you feel any different than you did a couple minutes ago? And now we're going to go to our guinea pig, Duncan, and tell us, how do you feel any different physically or emotionally? Yeah, I feel like, even though it was only a minute or two minutes, I feel like I've just done a really deep meditation. I mean, it, go, it felt like, because um, often meditate, it takes me you know, a while to actually you know, get deep and sometimes your mind's racing, but I don't know if it was guided or what, but it was just, your, 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 my whole body is completely just relaxed, like calm, I feel very centered and very just, you know, my, my mind is completely clear. Like it's not no racing, but it's just, yeah, I feel very just centered, relaxed, calm, and quite peaceful. Beautiful. So all of those, that you just mentioned, calm, centered, peaceful, relaxed, all of those are symptoms of being in the love response. So um, other things that people may feel, uh, they may feel more grounded, they may feel just more love, they may feel physical sensations, some people feel uh, a warmth in their heart, some people feel tingling in their hands and their feet. All of those are symptoms of moving into the love response. Now, here's what's so cool about this. And I love that you had a really, you know, that it, it went deep fast. You know, most of us don't have a lot of time these days. And um, what I recommend with this, doing this once is just a nice experience. It's not going to make any difference in your life. But here's what can make a difference in your life. If you do this two or three times a day for the next two weeks, what you'll do is you'll start to habituate your body to being more and more in the love response. So it becomes more like your default state, more where you live. And what I love about this is that you can do this anywhere. You can do this, as I said, with your eyes open. I do this while I'm standing in line at the grocery store. And I just stand there like that. Nobody knows what I'm doing. And I stand there and I just breathe in and out of my heart. And I breathe in love, peace, and inner ease. Nobody knows, as I said, what I'm doing. I do it while I'm sitting on the phone talking to people. And it just, what it does is it gets you in the habit of being in the love response. Now, that seems ridiculously simple. It seems like, how could that make any difference in my life? Mm. And what I ask people to do is don't take my word for it. Use your own life as an experiment. Try it out and see what happens. And I bet that in, in a couple of weeks, you'll start to notice that you're living more and more in the love response. I love that. Thanks for that. <laughs> yeah. We'll be there like every day. We'll be like, oh, crazy guys in the, in the park game. Easy. <laughs> Amazing. But yeah, I didn't, I, that, that, that reminded me of a, um, a quote which I saw that you wrote um, had on your, on your website, which is fantastic. You said um, by Emmett Fox, 
Um, if only you could love enough, you'd be the happiest and most powerful being in the universe. Brilliant quote. It, it is a brilliant quote by Emmett Fox. And it's true. You know, love is, I believe it's the truth of who we are. I believe that love is our essence and that our purpose in life is to remove the blocks to experiencing that truth of who we are. And that, um, that that's, a, that's a universal purpose. And what's so nice about it is it's not our job to, um, we don't need to add on to our life. We don't need to um, create this love. It's already there. All we need to do is remove what's blocking us from experiencing that truth. And that's in everybody. You know, I just think that people who are, who are, you can think of the most, uh, you know, what we would call the most uh, angry or hateful people in the world. And the reality is they're just the least in touch with the truth of who they are. Mm. What what is sort of the main barriers or things in the way stopping people from feeling love for no reason? Yeah. Yeah, love and happiness for no reason. So for some people, it's their thoughts. You know, we have um, the average person has 60,000 thoughts a day and 80% of them are negative. 80? 80% for the average person. We inherited this. uh, It's called the negativity bias. Psychologists call it the negativity bias. It's It's our tendency to focus on the negatives more than the positives and to remember them more. And we inherited that from our cavemen ancestors who needed to really remember the negatives or they would die. But we no longer need that habit of holding on to the negatives. I, a dear friend of mine um, is brilliant colleague uh, named Rick Hansen. He wrote a fabulous book called Buddha's Brain. And Rick says, it's like our minds are like Velcro for the negative. The negatives just stick to us, but they're like Teflon for the positives. The positives slide off of us. And I'll, I'll give you an example. If you get 10 compliments in a day and one criticism, what do you remember at the end of the day? The one criticism. The one criticism. So happier people have just trained themselves to focus on the positives. They will remember the compliment and not the criticisms. And they will you know, really um, take them in, savor the positives. Uh, one of the things, simple things from the research on happiness that's been shown to really work is if you keep a gratitude journal where you write down five things every day that you're grateful for before you go to sleep, within one month, you will have raised your happiness set point. And it's simple things that really do make a difference. Yeah, I love that. And what when when writing um, Love for No Reason, I mean, I know that you personally, um, you were going through like your own trauma, like you were getting divorced, like your, like your mother who you're very close to like passed away. And like, I think like, serious on the job training. I think that was how you described it. Like, yeah, I mean, so on the one hand, I mean, you kind of just had to, yeah, like you said, like learn on the job. And was that, was that pretty, you kind of pretty traumatic or? Well, it's interesting. There's a, um, there's kind of a, a saying or a wisdom of, for people who are writing or teaching, speaking anything that you better be careful what you pick because you will end up being tested in that. You know, we have to, I think that if, if you want to write about a topic or speak about a topic, it's because that's your, that's one of your life lessons. And so when I started writing love for no reason, as you said, within the first four months of writing that book, I had three dear friends pass away. Um, my 
husband and I separated and my mother passed away. And I thought, okay, this is the real test. Can I stay in a state of love even when things on the outside are falling apart? And, and it's not that I didn't go through, um, you know, grief. Of course I did. It would not be human to not. But I was practicing all the things I was learning about, um, about love from all these love luminaries I was interviewing. And it got me through that so much um, more powerfully and, and, and beautifully. And I, I feel like for the most part, I feel like I live in a state of love. And matter of fact, I, a couple of years ago, I was waking, I was started waking up every morning going, Oh my God, my life is a miracle. I, I just felt like miraculous things would happen every day. And I, I actually started um, teaching a program called your year of miracles. And it's, it's about how to live a miraculous life, how to, how to feel like miracles are happening in your life every day. So that's kind of my new thing that I'm really excited about is, is living a miraculous life. And I believe that that is our, the birthright for each of us. That's amazing. And we end up all our interviews with a couple of speed round questions. What does a fulfilled life mean to you? Mm. A fulfilled life means to me that I am living the life that I was put on this planet to live. And that is meaning I'm aligned with um, the work that I'm supposed to be doing. I'm inspired. It has meaning for me. I feel a deep inner state of happiness and well-being. And I feel love. And to me, all of that put together is living a miraculous life. And as, I, as I've said before, it's absolutely what I believe each of us is on the planet to live. That kind of life where you feel like you're in the flow, that amazing things are coming your way. You're not doing it all. The universe is living through you. And I know it may sound like kind of wildly woo-woo, <laughs> but it's really practical. You know, it's like, it's like the person that you meet at the, at, the, at the coffee shop or on the airplane is exactly the person that has the answer to the question that you've got or whatever. You know, you're just in the flow of life. I love that. <laughs> and what is one thing all our listeners can do today that will have a massive positive effect on their lives? Mm. You know, I'm often asked the question, what's the one most important thing you can do to be happier or to live in a state of love? And, and I think that's similar to what you've just asked. And there are many things that I could say, but if I were to sum, if I were to say the one most important thing that you can do to really propel yourself forward, it's forgiveness. Forgive. Forgive everything. Forgive. And forgiveness doesn't mean condoning. Forgiveness just means that you're freeing yourself from the, um, the burden of anger or resentment. Um, and so that means forgive the person can be gone. They can be dead. It doesn't matter. It, and, and some of it is self-forgiveness. And um, I, I will tell you my favorite forgiveness tool or technique that I use. There are lots of them out there, but my favorite one is so simple. It's called Ho'oponopono. And uh, Duncan, it may be one you're familiar with. I'm going to just share it with everybody. I, I want to be really practical. I want you to Brilliant. walk. I'm, like, I'm liking it. <laughs> practical things. So you got a piece of paper and a pen. Write these down. Ho'oponopono, it's, it's based on a kahuna Hawaiian tradition, which is why there's all those O's and P's in it. You never have to be able to say the word ho'oponopono. Uh, it's four phrases that you repeat internally in your heart, and they are, I'm sorry, please forgive me, thank you, I love you. 
And I'm going to say those again. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Thank you. I love you. And it doesn't matter who's right, who's wrong. You just feel those, those phrases towards the person or situation that you have problems with and also towards yourself. And if do we have time for me to share a story about how I use this in my hundred percent? So I've used this a million times, but the time that was the most powerful and important to me was about uh, almost six years ago, actually. And um, my sister and I had gotten in an argument, and we weren't talking. And this had never happened in our family, and it was really tense. And we went about four months without talking, and. And we had to, um, one morning, we, we all gathered to move our mother from our family home of 58 years to an assisted living apartment. And we were all getting together to unpack her things in her new apartment. And I was so nervous because it was the first time seeing my sister when we hadn't spoken. And I walked into the apartment. I hugged and kissed everybody hello except her. She and I ignored each other. She was off in the kitchen unpacking. We went through the whole morning ignoring each other. And you could feel the tension in the air. You know, you cut it with a knife. It was awful. And after about three or four hours of this, I couldn't take it anymore. So I left and I went to my car to meditate and just kind of take a break. And I remembered Ho'oponopono. So I sat in my car and I, I did that towards her. I just felt towards her. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Thank you. I love you. And towards myself as well. And I did that for about five minutes. And I suddenly felt this wave of love come over me. And I realized that my sister wasn't mad at me for what had happened four months earlier, but it was a lifetime of stuff. And for the first time ever, I got it. And I got it from her point of view. And I felt so much love and compassion for her that I just, I felt flooded with love. So I went back into the apartment and I decided not to say anything to anybody. And I just went back in and I started, continued unpacking my mom's things. And not more than three minutes of me being back, my sister came over to me totally out of the blue grabbed me by the hand, said, come on, Marcy, let's go unpack mom's closet together, which is what we did. An hour later, we're at lunch. My sister hands me her baked potato and says, Marcy, you have mine. You like these more than I do. And I was so shocked by the sudden change in her that I pulled my brother aside and I said, okay, what did you say to her? And he said, Marcy, nobody said anything. We have no idea what has just happened. Well, Duncan, that was the beginning of an entirely new relationship that I now have with my sister. And thank God it happened when it did. Because nine months later, my sister and I found ourselves standing in that same closet of our mother's. But this time we were packing up mom's things because she had just died unexpectedly. And thank God we had had that healing. And I, 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 I say this story because I know that everybody listening has someone in their life that they need to do some more forgiveness with. Or, or even yourself. It may be yourself. And so, again, I invite you to don't take my word for it, but use, try this out as an experiment and see what happens. I, I have heard thousands of stories from people who have used this and have just had amazing results. So try it out. That is, um, that is an incredible story. I'm, I'm going to be only telling everyone about that as well. I'm going to be personally doing that as well. So thank you for, thank you for that. That was amazing. And are there any books or resources which have changed or had a massive impact on you? Oh my God, so many. And there's always, uh, always new ones every, all, every moment. Uh, I would be remiss if I didn't mention the one by my mentor, Jack Canfield, uh, The Success Principles. I think that's got, he's got 64 of the success principles in there. And I think there's nothing that he hasn't covered in that. 
Um, I love that book. I love the, um, a, a book by M Michael Singer called The Untethered Soul. I think it's an exquisite book. Um, Marianne Williamson's work. Marianne is just, I think, brilliant and amazing and transformative. A Return to Love I read many years ago and it was huge for me and she has all kinds of new work out there. I am constantly taking courses and I'm a fan of so many people's work. In fact, there's a woman that I doubt anyone's heard, many people have heard of, but I highly recommend. I've worked with her for a number of years named Tiziana de la Rovere and her work is called The uh, Sacred Lovers Within and it's about integrating the, the masculine and feminine in both of us and having that sacred sacred union within so you can google sacred lovers within and you'll see Tiziana's website so there's great work out there and I just what I've seen is that the people who are happiest and most fulfilled are constant learners and they're always always open to new things that's incredible and last but not least where can we send people how can people find out more about you your work everything oh great so the two places are uh, happyfornoreason.com and that has all my work on happiness. So it's very simple, happy for F-O-R, no reason, dot com. And then the work on living a miraculous life, you can go to youryearofmiracles.com, youryearofmiracles.com. Marcy, thank you so much for talking to me today. This has been one of my, yeah, I loved, I loved the practical elements that you're bringing to it. And it was just, and the stories, I mean, yeah, the, it was absolutely, it was incredible. Thank you. Thank you. And Duncan, I always love to end with a quote. Brilliant. Can I yeah, can of you indulge me? So I end with this quote. It's a Chinese proverb. And it sums up why I care so much about each of us feeling that love and happiness inside. It goes like this. It says, when there is light in the soul, there will be beauty in the person. When there is beauty in the person, there will be harmony in the house. When there is harmony in the house, there will be order in the nation. And when there is order in the nation, there will be peace in the world. And my prayer and my wish for each one of us is that we feel that light in our hearts and souls. And through that, we help create more peace here on this planet of ours. Thank you. Thank you, Duncan. <laughs> Great to be with you. You're a bright light on the planet. <laughs> Try my best. <laughs> we'll talk soon. Thanks so much Great. again. Thank you. Thank you.